Welcome to the Audit 15 Fun Podcast. My goal with this podcast is to bring relevant internal audit topics to the table at least every 15 days. Today, I have as my guest, Alex Sidorenko. Alex is the Risk Manager of the Year in 2021 in Europe, had an honorable mention by RIMS in the U.S. in 2021, and is the founder and host of the Risk Awareness Week. Welcome, Alex, to the podcast. It's an honor to have you on. Thanks, John. Thank you. And hello to all the listeners. Yeah, absolutely. So today we're going to be talking about risk management. You have a lot of thought-provoking ideas and concepts in this field. So really looking forward to our conversation here. First question, we'll start with the basics for the internal auditors out there. If you were an internal auditor, how would you go about auditing risk management? And I was. Although I graduated as a risk manager, uh, from the university, and I was kind of a risk manager forever. Um, I did work as a, as an internal auditor for a while in consulting. And so uh, let me try and answer that in a structured way. So first point, let me try and kind of in, in key, key messages, key points. Uh, point number one, uh, never ever audit risk management if you don't have a good risk manager on your team. Uh, I mean, my God, how many auditors had, had I, have I had to sit down and listen to and the amount of rubbish I heard and the amount of nonsense I heard from internal auditors um, that, made me be, uh, that made me for a second uh, believe that internal auditors are the worst human beings on the planet. Um, just for a second. Um, so, so, yeah. Just like you wouldn't audit a complex infrastructure project without an engineer on your team, don't mm -hmm. audit risk management without a very competent risk management person on the team. Because risk management is not building a risk register or a framework or a colorful heat map. Risks are not uh, likely versus you know, major red on a map. Uh, risk management is hardcore mathematics. And unless you have a degree in mathematics, stay away from auditing risk management. You know, don't, don't kid yourself. You're not qualified to even walk near uh, risk management as the process unless you have a competent risk manager on the team. Um, so risk management is one of those highly specialized uh, business processes that requires probably some sort of outsourcing specialist or at least somebody some um, independent uh, risk manager to borrow in into the in into the risk team and uh, I, i'm not kidding like i had in my career i had my risk management audited by internal auditors twice by external auditors every single year and uh, i've never had so many dumb conversations in my life the amount of stu stupid feedback comments and just ridiculous non-scientific um, recommendations I've never seen so much in my life. Uh, so that's the, that's a, that's a very uh, long introduction. Uh, so how do you actually audit it? Uh, basically, risk management is four things. Um, risk management is so to audit risk management properly. It's it's actually four things. Thing number one, there is this concept called, which, which I call risk management one. It's basically doing risk management for regulatory purposes. Uh, for some bizarre reason, regulators in many countries 
have legislated certain requirements for risk management. Uh, all of these legislative requirements are um, ridiculous at best, completely wrong and unscientific and astrology-like at worst. So regulators are not doing a good job at uh, uh, trying to capture the essence of risk management. Uh, it's much worse outside of financial services, but even in financial services, uh, the regulators are doing a pretty decent job with credit risk. They are pretty embarrassing with market risk. They are horrible, like beyond embarrassment with operational risk. And, you know, environmental risk, you know, forget about it. The regulators, they, they're just a joke. Uh, tax risk, tax-related risk, the, the amount of legislation written and, and some of the legislation like literally prescribes formulas how you supposedly quantify risk. And those formulas are um, making the kind of the basic year seven mathematical mistakes that you would avoid if you did any kind of quantitative you know, education in your life ever. So it's, it's embarrassing beyond belief. And so um, nevertheless, the regulators continue to push down a certain path. And uh, for simplicity's sake, I just call it risk management one, which basically means do whatever the regulators ask. Yes, it's bad math. Yes, it's astro astrology. Yes, it has nothing to do with proper decision-making and risk management, but it's just easier to do what the regulators ask. And you know, forget about it. So we call it risk management one. And uh, uh, to audit risk management in general, you have to first audit risk management one. And there it's very simple is, does it exist? If the regulator says you should have a risk appetite statement, you bloody better have a risk appetite statement. Yes, it's useless. <laughs> yes, it has nothing to do with decision-making. Uh, yes, it's a waste of time, but if the regulator insists on having one, you, you better have one. So it's, you have to go through the, all the regulatory requirements and every industry, yeah. every country has their own specific, unique uh, regulatory requirements. You just go like, do you have it? Yes, 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 yes. But then the biggest question in risk management one is, are you not wasting too much time on this window dressing? Because it's literally is window dressing. And the, mm -hmm. the most important question the internal auditor should ask, are you not getting too much excited about this window dressing? Are you not wasting too much management resources and the budget on doing this basically rubbish? Um, because you have to do it, but you have to do it quickly. And so ho hopefully a good internal auditor would look at risk management one and say, well, if it's just a facade, if it literally is just window dressing, why on earth did you spend a few months of management time and getting together like workshops and doing risk registers and reviewing and updating? Like why, why are you spending so much of company time and salaries on doing this? Because this is not risk management. This is just window dressing. You have to do it as quickly as possible and just you know, forget it's ever, ever happened. Um, and so first question in out of four, that there are four questions in auditing risk management. And this is going to be a slightly longer answer to your first question. Uh, I mean, that's okay. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's not the lightest of the questions to start a podcast with. Yes. Um, but number one, risk management one, does it exist? Is it quick? Like, is it super quick? Is it quick and painless? Because if it's not quick and painless, and most of the organizations fail in making it quick and painless, they make it actually slow and painful for the management. They literally conduct various workshops. They come up with some uh, ridiculous methodologies. Like they, they are, have arguments, you know, should a heat map be three by three or five by five? 
Well, both of those heat maps are astrology. They're nothing like but, but a horoscope. They have no uh, connection to proper uh, scientific risk management. So in the, in the question of should a heat map be three by three or five by five, there's a very simple answer. Whatever is easiest because it's all rubbish. And so whichever one is easier, of course, three by three is, is by far easier than five by five. It's a, it's a simple question. So of course you would settle for the easiest window dressing possible because the only purpose is window dressing. So right. that's number one out of four. Number two is where it becomes difficult is risk management two. And risk management two is basically how is risk analysis, quantitative scientific risk analysis based on actual decision science, probability theory, integrated into decision-making. Uh, when the company signs off on the budget, do they run scenarios? Do they run simulations to see how different assumptions affect the budgeting parameters? When they make an investment decision, how is the fair value of investment is calculated? Are the risks incorporated in the, into the calculation of fair value? Because apparently, mm -hmm. nobody knew, but apparently doing a sensitivity analysis plus minus 10% on your key parameters in your valuation is not good enough. That's not real risk management. And you have to do it you have to do it properly. So risk management two, that's the second point in out of my four. That's the big one. That's like the 90% of the audit. Mm -hmm. You look at actual decisions taken by the board or the management and you see, you figure out, well, have risks been considered? Have they been properly taken into account? Have mitigations have been taken into account? Is the final decision risk adjusted? You know, are we still making the decision ignoring the uncertainty or have we adjusted our decision to account for uncertainty? And so that's the, that's the second kind of, the, the second point that is a big one. Then the third one is uh, what I call risk culture uh, because basically integrating into decision-making requires people to believe and leave the kind of, leave the story um, and mm -hmm. leave the, and, and, be, like believe into what they're doing um, because once the risk manager is in the room, it's actually quite easy to talk about risk because when the risk manager is in the room, everybody talks about risk as well as, uh, as the risk manager. But as soon as the risk manager leaves, then the room usually completely forgets about the risk because they're motivated by other things and their bonuses are paid uh, from right. performance that is not risk adjusted. And so the risk culture is a huge part of risk management effectiveness and therefore has to be audited as a separate activity. Uh, does the risk manager train, provide competencies, educate, uh, monitors the competencies? Uh, what do the people say? Do the decision makers believe in risk? Do they believe in the methodology? Do they you know, walk, the, walk the talk? Do they actually talk and think about risks when they're making decisions, regardless of whether the risk manager is in the room? So the third one, the big one is risk culture. The, if you were to audit risk management, you have to specifically look at what happens to decisions when the risk manager is not present in the room and what happens to all the other decisions where the risk manager hasn't had a chance to integrate himself into. And uh, uh, that's number three. And number four is uh, when I would audit risk management and I've audited risk management in many, many companies all over the world, um, mm. is uh, look at the actual risk management team. So number four is look at the risk management uh, team itself. 
are they competent? You know, do they have uh, competencies in probability theory, decision science, behavioral economics, um, the actual industry where the company is working, and uh, some some of the kind of advanced quant um, quant competencies that are required to process uh, large chunks of operational da data, loss data, or, uh, or or incidents, and so on. So. The last, the fourth point that I would look at when I would audit risk management is, well, what does the risk management team look like? Do they have sufficient resources? Uh, for example, uh, I was working for a very large multi-billion dollar, $10 billion uh, fertilizer company, uh, mm -hmm. one of the biggest in the world. And uh, the shareholder I uh, came from a financial background. He used to be a banker. He was a big fan of risk management. And he uh, constantly was saying, oh, we need risk models for different type of risks. We need all decisions to be risk adjusted and so on. And uh, he said, I want you know, things to be done in a way that is similar to a bank. And I want the um, accuracy of your risk models to be very high. I want uh, to have very a lot of confidence into the uh, risk analysis that you do. Uh, the only trouble is that at the time when he said that, the risk team had four people, which is not bad for an average non-financial company. But the trouble is when you go to the level of sophistication of a financial services, well, they usually right. have 80 to 200 risk managers. A and so, if you want super advanced risk management, you can't do it yeah. with 40 people, with four people, sorry. You have to right. have the resources appropriate to the level of sophistication. And so anyway, the team uh, expanded to, uh, I think, like 60 people within a year or so. Um, but that, that's, uh, that's an indication. You know, if there's right. a demand for sophisticated risk-based decision-making in the organization, well, the resources have to be appropriate. The number of yeah. people, the level of competency of people, the software that they use, the access to data that they require, all of that should be in place. And that's all part of the kind of the fourth point to, to audit. Because um, the shareholders or the audit committee can say, oh, we want the best risk management in place. Um, well, you can't have that with like two or three people in the risk team. So forget about it. You have to settle for something, you know, reasonable uh, right. unless you give more resources. And uh, right. I think that's where the internal auditors can be quite helpful in saying, well, if you want the best risk management, then you have to support it with resources. Uh, well, with resources. But if you're not yeah. prepared to support it with resources, then you have to settle for normal risk management, you know, reasonable risk management, but, you know, then don't go around annoying risk managers saying, oh, we wanted, why, why didn't you think of that? Or why didn't you incorporate this into your risk analysis? Well, because we've built our, our framework, our models, our, just our, our methodology for your level of sophistication. It's everything is kind of fitting the, the resources available. So if yeah. I was to audit risk management, I would look at risk management one, is it quick enough? Risk management too. How sophisticated, integrated it is. Risk culture. Yeah. Do people think and talk about risk when risk managers are not in the room? And uh, who, who is the risk manager or the risk management team? Are they sophisticated enough, competent enough, qualified enough 
and sufficient to meet the shareholder requirements. Yeah, very, very good points, all four points. And I do want to focus on the second point more because I think that's kind of like what you're really big on for sure, uh, being more quantitative and uh, bringing that into the decision-making process. So, and this is not necessarily a question, but more of like, I want to try to get your reaction here. You know, there, there's a phrase out there that says, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. So, which kind of implies, you know, sometimes quantitative methods may be wrong, right? So to your point, you know, for risk management two, which is the quantitative side, is there any method that it's a bad method for quantitative processes? Um, so this is a very um, loaded question because there's a lot to unpack. Um, because that, you know, that phrase, that, that, that way of putting the question forward, um, it implies the world, and, and this is kind of, I'm tr I, I will try and s slowly bring you into the world of risk management. It implies the question, um, and it's not a bad question because it's a very common question, uh, but the question implies that the world is deterministic. And, and this is the first, you know, you know w welcome internal audit listeners. This is the new word that you'll, you'll learn today. Um, there you go. Um, deterministic implies that the world is linear and there is right or wrong answer. And uh, there is kind of one way of looking at things. And then that's the kind of the internal audit view of the world. But in reality, it's the trader's view of the world. It's, it's, it's everyone's view of the world. Finance, finance, accounting, they all live in a deterministic world where, mm -hmm. you know, for example, you say uh, in the budget, we will forecast sales to be 100. Well, in reality, you would, I hope, know that in reality, sales can fluctuate. And in fact, they will fluctuate every month. And in fact, in a year, it could be 100, it could be 105, it could be 120, it could be 200, it could be you know, 90, 80. Uh, there's uncertainty. Right. And in the risk management world, we view the world as stochastic. Stochastic means it's affected by random variables. We, and one of my favorite sayings in English is the future is plural. It means that there's, in, in the view of the risk manager, there's no single future. There are multiple possible futures and you actually have no idea which one is going to happen uh, because right. yeah, th that's the nature of uncertainty. We're dealing with uncertainty. We have no idea what the future will actually hold. We can only estimate what the future uh, will hold. And we can estimate a range of possible uh, of possible outcomes. A and so in risk management world, the future is stochastic, which means to estimate and to talk, to make any kind of forecasts, you always have to talk in ranges. You have to say from A to B, from A to Z, and your kind of your range is the, the wider the range, the more uncertainty you have. In fact, if right. you know nothing, the range is humongous. If you know a lot, the range is smaller, but it's still a range because you're never certain about the future because you cannot, unless you're, unless you're certain about something, if, and if you are certain about something, then there's no risk. If there is presence of risk, that means there's a presence of uncertainty. So there's always a range and the you know, shrinking that range to something that is acceptable to the decision maker is the objective of risk management because 
when you look in the right. future, the range is just humongous and you kind of, you, you, you constantly try to shrink it. So in that sense, you know, when we, when we, um, when we talk about, um, lies, damn lies and statistics, it implies, well, it implies that there is some sort of future fact and we can misjudge that fact using statistics. Well, that is fundamentally incorrect interpretation of what we're trying to do because we never know what the future is and we have no, we're not even attempting to guess what the future is because risk managers are not um, fortune tellers. We don't know what the future is, but we're trying to reduce the uncertainty around the future and that reduction in uncertainty actually helps us improve the quality of decision making it helps us improve in the quality um so so yes technically speaking i can uh, take a historical data uh, internal or external and i can come up with all sorts of crazy things to make um forecasts about the future but i wouldn't you know, i wouldn't do that because my job is not to create a future that can be either right or wrong. My, my job is to create with a range of possible future outcomes and uh, uh, hope that the actual future that will happen will fall within the confidence interval that I've selected. Now, here's another interesting thing. Risk managers operate with this concept called confidence interval. That mm -hmm. means I can say what the weather will be tomorrow or you know, next year with a 60% confidence interval, which means that the range will be huge, or an 80% confidence interval, or a 90% confidence interval, or, um, oh, sorry, I, I showed you the wrong, with the 60% confidence interval, with the 80% confidence interval, with the 90% confidence interval, with the 99% confidence interval. So the, the more accurate, the business wants the risk manager to be, the higher, mm -hmm. the broader the range will be because we realize that if you want us to be accurate 90% of the time, then the range will be significantly bigger. If you want us to be 99% of the time accurate, then the range will be humongous because there's just so much uncertainty, so much risk. And if you want us to be 100% accurate, then we will walk away because no risk manager will ever state anything where he's 100% confident into something because there's always uncertainty. Right. And so whether there's, you know, lies, damn lies and statistics that rely, that kind of more reflects the, um, the application of statistics in forecasting, where you're trying to create a single point estimate. And the reality yeah. is you're wrong with your single point estimates almost always because the future right. is uncertain. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to create ranges that give you that appreciation of uncertainty. If you say, oh, I want to be 99% confidence. Well, then the weather next year could be between zero <laughs> and 40 or 50 degrees. And I'll be right 99% yes. of the time. And I'm, I'm talking Celsius, obviously, um, right. because that's what the rest of the world is using. Um, and, um, and, and, and so, uh, yes, I could, uh, be very creative with the methodologies I use, and I can take a lot of shortcuts in the mathematics, uh, I use, but the very idea of risk management is, is not actually 
give you a precise answer. The very idea right. is to highlight how imprecise your forecasts are. For example, management is saying, we will sell 100 units next year. And you say, well, based on the risk analysis that we've done, you can actually sell somewhere between 60 and 180. And there's, that, that's a lot of uncertainty. That's probably more uncertainty that you want in your business plan. So you better mitigate the risks because with this much uncertainty, you're not really doing a good job at managing, uh, um, at managing, managing that business. Uh, and the, the final point on this uh, statement that I wanted to, to say, which is, uh, well, actually the final two points. Um, there, there's a, there's a kind of never ending this quest for um, saying, you know, qualitative, you know, shall we have a quick conversation and decide with the risks, you know, high, low, medium, or shall we spend significantly more time? And, you know, make no mistake about it. Quantitative risk analysis is time consuming and quite complex. Right. And right. in fact, remind me a bit later, I'll talk about, I have this new idea that uh, risk managers are divided into users and generators. And only some okay. of them can actually do quantitative risk analysis. Others are not meant and are not capable of doing quantitative risk analysis in their life. Um, so risk management is significantly more effort. Uh, and there's this general debate about, well, shall we do like a quick fix or shall we spend the time and, you know, do the quantitative? Uh, and uh, it's all measurable because a lot of scientists have actually conducted the research to say, well, you know, is our intuition in, in uh, qualifying risks and ranking risks better or worse than mathematical models? Mm -hmm. And uh, Philip Tetlock is one of those uh, scientists. He came up with a very simple conclusion. He said, I found no discipline on earth where intuition or qualitative you know, opinions, judgments, assessments of risk would be better than simple mathematical, than simple mathematical models, yet alone more, uh, more, more, more complicated. So there's, for the scientists that have spent the time and done the research, there's no evidence to suggest that statistical methods or mathematical methods have more error than your qualitative, intuitive, uh, subjective opinions. These, your, these qualitative opinions, uh, even though they're quicker and less painful in terms of the methodology and the, and the effort, they have been proven to show more error. That means that they misguide your decisions more than if you did no risk management at all. And you're actually significantly better off by quantifying. Uh, so I'm... I know a lot of people will uh, will listen to this who have never come across the research by Philip Tutlock, Doug Hubbard, um, God, what's his name? Uh, Tony Cox and uh, a few other scientists in both US and Europe who have mm -hmm. spent the time to investigate this very important question. Um, and since um, you know, I, I suspect that many of the listeners would have no knowledge of these individuals and the uh, research that they've done, um, I welcome you to write, to find me, and it's, it's very easy to find me on LinkedIn or my YouTube channel, uh, to find me and uh, challenge me and give me a single piece of evidence to suggest that you think qualitative uh, risk analysis 
improves decision-making as opposed to it actually uh, ruins decision-making. Uh, so the, the, the second point that I've just made is that, uh, yes, you can lie with statistics, but you are definitely lying with qualitative assessments. So that's the point yeah. I was trying to make. Uh, yes, as the, as the professional risk manager, I can lie with it. Like I can tweak the data in so many ways you wouldn't even realize that. I can lie with statistics so easily, it's, it's, it's scary. Um, <laughs> what you have to realize is that if you don't use statistical methods, then you are guaranteed to be lying to your senior managers, right. to your audit committees, and to your executives, and to your shareholders. Okay. So, you know, whether you're guaranteed to be lying or you can be lying, that's a big difference to me. And the, yeah. the, the, third, the third very quick point uh, that I wanted to, uh, to make o o on this, I, uh, I forgot. So, so I'll, I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it when we'll, I remember. We'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, and we'll put the challenge out there to the internal auditors who are listening. If there's a qualitative method that you think it's better than a quantitative method, you know, you can contact Alex on LinkedIn. So I think your, your point about the goal of risk management is to shrink the range. That's a, a very good takeaway for the listeners here. So. There's a phrase, another phrase out there, and I think this is from uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Uh, in the early 2000s, he said there are known knowns, which is stuff that we know we know. There are known unknowns, which is stuff that we know may happen, but we don't know what's the probability that it may happen. And there are unknowns unknowns, which is stuff that we don't even know that may happen that may happen, right? So in risk management, in your opinion, what is the way to move those unknown unknowns to something that's more quantifiable, if there is a way to do that? Yeah, so, so th th thanks, John. That's a, that's a very good question. Um, let, let me kind of dissect um, the, that phrase, because this is, this is a very, um, like soap opera phrase, because we in quantitative world, we don't think in terms of known, unknown, unknown, unknown. We think of different, like we, we think about risk in a very different perspective. And let me try and describe that. Every risk on the planet, and, um, and this is again, this is a very important message. I am now going to say a few things which internal order to listeners will probably have like, it will just, just you know, go over their head. Like they will not even register what it means, which is exactly the point I'm trying to prove. If you're going to audit risk manager, risk management, better bring somebody who understands what I'm talking about, because this is like the basic level of risk management and everybody needs to understand that. Uh, but if you just, if, what I'm going to say next, if you don't understand that, that just means you're forbidden from auditing risk management. It's very, it's very simple. Right. Um, so every risk on the planet is a distribution. A distribution mm -hmm. is basically like a loss exceedance curve. Loss exceedance curve um, has three important components. It has expected losses, which is your basically P0 to P50. This is how much you expect to lose from a given risk in a given time period. 
And usually that amount is used for adjusting budgets because if you know you're going to lose this much money. And, and this is, again, this is a very important philosophical message. You know, business is not risk-free. Whatever the business is doing, there will always be risk. So you will right. always have expected losses, which means if you sell into clients and you give them credit and you expect them to pay later after the goods have been delivered, some clients will steal from you. That's a given. Yes. That's a given. You, you know, uh, over your portfolio of clients, somebody will steal. It's not, it's not that you have to go upset and surprised by it. It's actually stupid for people to be surprised about things that are expected to happen. And so any risk on the planet has expected losses, which means that um, your budgets have to be adjusted for these expected losses because it's stupid to budget uh, knowing that you will lose certain amount of money throughout the year due to a given mm -hmm. risk and you ignore it. And then you just kind of, oh, we didn't meet our budget. Well, of course you didn't meet your budget because you didn't include the expected losses. That's the name, expected losses. That's what you expect <laughs> on average right. to lose. You, you can actually expect, you can actually lose in real life. You can expect, you lose less or more, but on average, this is how much you, you expect to lose from a given risk. So every risk is a distribution. It has three components. Component number one is expected losses. You have to mm -hmm. budget for those because they, they will happen. The longer you observe, they will happen uh, um, on average. The second component is unexpected losses. Unexpected losses is basically your uh, plausible worst case scenario. So what you're saying in this risk, you know, whether the risk is fire or clients stealing your goods uh, or um, explosions in the chemical plants, like anything, whatever the, the risk is, the unexpected losses, this is your plausible worst case scenario, which means depending on your confidence interval, 95% of the time, you wouldn't lose more than X, and X being your VAR, value at risk. Um, mm -hmm. That VAR is very important because at some stage, the risk manager needs to combine, consolidate all the VARs from different risks together and say, mm -hmm. well, if these worst case scenarios happened and uh, they're correlated, so if they happened in some sort of plausible scenario together, will the company survive? So that's like the second output of risk analysis. The first output is how much do we need to add or deduct from our budget? You know, for example, if we, if we forecast that our sales will be 100 million and our expected losses from the sales are, I don't know, 5 million, then we should budget for 95 because it's silly to budget for 100, ignoring the five that we're going to lose based on the risk analysis that we've done. And that's expected losses. So unexpected then you have to combine all those bars together and say, well, will the company actually survive? Do we need more capital? Do we need to reach out to the shareholders? Do we need to have some sort of loan uh, structure to protect the company liquidity should all these risks happen simultaneously? And that's your, um, your unexpected losses and yet that's your kind of the big portion of, uh, of your risk. And then yeah. after your confidence interval, after your VAR 95 or VAR 97 or VAR 80, whatever the confidence interval is in your company. And by the way, figuring out what is your confidence interval for a company is actually a humongous task and okay. a very important conversation to have with the shareholder because some shareholders will say, oh, we're fine with you know P90 and others say, no, we want P99. And then you say, as the risk manager, you say, 
Well, if you want P99, that means we need to build much more sophisticated risk models, which which means we need like 40 extra people. Are you sure Fair. you want P99? And he goes like, well, not really, because it actually costs <laughs> like an extra million in salaries. Um, right. and, and, and so um, that's your second chunk, which is your unexpected losses. And then the final chunk of the distribution is the tail. And that's mm-hmm. where you have unknown unknowns. Is you have sometimes you have um, I don't know what's the yeah known unknowns. You kind of you know what the type of things could happen, but you don't know how likely they are. For example, right. you know I used to work for a chem- chemical company, so we knew that uh, ammonia could explode, um, but you know we never had um, any incidents like that. The glow the, the world had very few incidents where uh, something like that exploded so we didn't know how likely that that was but that's the tail and in the, also in the tail uh, it's basically two things in the tail the uh, known unknowns you know that a certain part of the equipment could explode under certain conditions but there are also unknown unknowns for example you know i don't know a meteorite could uh, fall on the which literally happened in one of the plants <laughs> in the like in the middle of russia somewhere um could could fall on on the plant and you know just destroy it. Uh, so that all sits in the tail, and with the tail, th- this is just such a fundamental thing. Risk management does not have the competencies or the methodologies most of the time to estimate the tail. Mm-hmm. You literally you, you you say okay, we understand what the expected losses are, we understand what yeah. the unexpected losses are, and we plan for a plausible worst case scenario. But there are more worst case scenarios that are so remotely unlikely that we have no idea how likely they really are. We think there's a less than 5% probability of of them happening, but we don't know what exact probability that they will have. And we shouldn't. Because for those type of, for the tails, you don't, you kind of, you don't really mitigate the tails. You ensure or hedge or just, um, reserve for for the tail. Uh, part of the business is realizing that there are certain events that could just completely destroy, like a war. For example, war happening in Europe right now. I mean, they right. just they just destroyed so many businesses that no risk model in the region ever predicted. But that wasn't even the job of risk management. So the the very important point uh, that I want to try and make in risk management, we're very realistic about what we can quantify and what mm-hmm. we shouldn't quantify because the math in that region is just so ridiculous that it's a, a lie at best. A, right. And, and so, you don't have data. Well, you, you don't have enough. You, you never have sufficient data because it's you know one one in one in a thousand, one in the ten thousand uh, type events. Even if it's one in a hundred years event, like you would have maybe a couple of points somewhere in the, around the world, it is not enough to properly quantify it. So there's no, in, again, this is actually like, this is actually not proven science. Like that, I haven't seen a paper that says there's no point quantifying uh, tail. That's actually, th- that is literally just my opinion. I, I have given it a lot of thought. I have spent a lot of time working on it. I've even attempted to quantify the tails from different directions. And I personally came up with the conclusion that there's no uh, point quantifying the known unknowns and unknown unknowns 
as long as you know that they exist and you have some sort of plan B, like your, your mm-hmm. recoveries, your business continuities, your insurances, uh, your hedging strategies, if, as long as you have something or the shareholders are aware of the risks and they accept the risk and they say, well, if something happens, then the whole plant explodes and you know, we'll, we'll deal with it later. Uh, we'll build a new one and we'll just write off the, the whole cost and uh, everything else associated with that. Um, then that's the, that, that's the kind of, that's the end of the road. Uh, for risk management. So risk management is not really, in my opinion, again, risk management mm-hmm. is not about the tails. Risk management is about the body of the distribution, which is your expected mm-hmm. and unexpected losses. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's fair to say, because, you know, if you expected the risk manager to predict that tail risk, you would be driving yourself crazy and it would be extremely cost prohibitive to, you know, stakeholders, shareholders, and so forth. So last question here, and that's a, you know, Changing gears a little bit, something that you talk about that I noticed on LinkedIn, reputational risk. There's no such a thing as reputational risk. Can you elaborate on what you mean? Um, so I've written an, an article, um, reputational risk is not a risk. And uh, it was a very popular article with tens of thousands of uh, reads. Um, I do not uh, and I, i'm being very honest i do not remember the main message of that article because since then i've written an article called esg is the worst thing to happen to risk management since grc um and that kind of overshadowed all the conclusions in my mind um so i i actually yeah i, I don't think i'll i'll uh, make it up right now I, I i can't remember what the main message was in reputational risk is not a risk uh, it is a very solid message because i've been you know i've been thinking about it for a long time and i've been backtesting it a lot uh, I, I think it has something to do with um taleb's uh, nicholas taleb's notion of x versus f of x uh, which mm-hmm. basically means it is stupid to quantify a, or stupid to think about a risk unless you have a specific tool set to mitigate that specific risk. So for example, we wouldn't be thinking about credit risk or market risk if we didn't have a set of commercial market tools, techniques to hedge and deal with those risks. So it only makes sense to think about a given risk if there, there are mitigation techniques that are specifically designed for that risk and for reputational mm-hmm. risk there's no such thing because reputation is such a broad umbrella that it just implies right. you know a million of other th- you know, random things that are just piled under this umbrella and each of them have different mitigations so there's no mitigation there's no market mitigation for reputation risk which means it's kind of silly to try and quantify and measure this reputational risk because it's not a thing yeah it's only a thing if the market made it a thing and created products and created an industry around that thing. Because for example, you know, market risk is not really also a thing, uh, or foreign exchange risk or, you know, credit risk, but because the market created the thing around it, then we just accepted it. And that, yeah. that, that was one of the points. And the second point, F of X, it actually makes much more sense to, um, quantify and measure the effect different reputational if, if events have on cash flows. So anyway, mm-hmm. I. Um, it's a very simple article to find. It's called reputational risk is not a risk or reputational risk is not a thing or reputation is not a risk. I, I think if you Google 
either one of those names, it's going to be number one in Google because it's easy. It's quite easy to find. It's a very popular article. Uh, so I do encourage the listeners, if you, if you think reputational risk is, is a thing, and I ensure you it is not, um, <laughs> then go ahead and Google and find out why, because I bring a lot of quite you know, scientific arguments on why it's not a thing. Uh, yeah. And the same for ESG. The article I called um, ESG is the worst thing to happen to risk management since uh, GRC. Kind of trying to take a stab at the two things I hate most in my life. Uh, again, um, and, and I hope the listeners kind of realize that I'm not this crazy uncle that just goes around and says, oh, ESG is, is bad, ESG is bad. I have put a lot of thought into that. In fact, right. I also modeled a lot of environmental risks scientifically, and I saved yeah. company millions of dollars by doing proper risk analysis. And that, yeah. you know, that's one of the reasons why I did get uh, Risk Manager of the Year in Europe last year and a special honor honorable mention in US by RIMS. Um, because last year we saved like $13 million to the company by doing proper risk analysis. Uh, so whenever I make a claim, there's usually a lot of science and backtesting right. and pr proven evidence behind it. So you just have to, yeah, as in you, you, you readers, just have to take a little bit of effort to read the arguments because the arguments are quite solid. It's not just, it's not just because I don't understand ESG. I understand it so well to realize that it's just a rubbish concept um, yeah. and literally the worst thing to happen to environment and climate change in the, because the, it, it could, it should have been and could have been so much more um, beneficial for the, for the planet uh, than what it turns out to be now. Yeah. You have the goods to show. So it's not just your opinion. You have actually done extensive research on the topic. So really appreciate you being on the podcast, Alex, for those who, you know, maybe want to challenge you on the things that you brought up during this conversation or just want to connect with you to learn about what you do. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, so, so the best place is this annual event that I'm doing since 2019. I started doing uh, an online conference. I called it Risk Awareness Week. And it is literally a week. It's five days of like 50 different workshops from the risk professionals that I trust. So like Stanford professors, you know, NASA engineers, some of the best risk managers, risk one, yeah, they, they're not risk managers. They are the people that, you know, teach risk managers to mm -hmm. uh, risk management, to risk managers. Uh, some of the best people I respect and uh, love on the planet uh, so some of the best uh, senior risk managers, engineers, like real scientists who do proper quantity, like the, the guys that do, you know, risk analysis in the basement of Pentagon, uh, when when it matters, you know, not right. not when you have to produce a corporate risk profile and present to the audit committee, but when you do risk analysis when lives are at stake, and you know, when nuclear submarines are at stake, like that's that's the kind of risk analysis that uh, I believe in, and, and so every October. We get together for this uh, Risk Awareness Week. And if you Google Risk Awareness Week, um, you, you'll find the next October's 2022 Risk Awareness Week, uh, which is going to be exciting. And you can find me there because I'll be doing a number of workshops and as well as all the uh, friends that I bring together, they will be doing a lot of workshops uh, describing what we actually implemented and what results and what we've backtested. The actual 
practical models, risk analysis, what we've done to show how it can improve the quality of decision-making. Uh, so that's the best pl uh, place to find me. But then, of course, um, you can just Google Risk Academy. Um, Risk Academy is uh, one of the biggest uh, blogs um, on the planet. The um, It has both the YouTube channel and uh, a um, and and the blog it it usually comes up in like number one uh, in the uh, in the, in the Google search. Uh, and um, if you want like a condensed version of my thinking, um, I, I and a friend uh, of mine actually wrote a book many years ago, uh, which is still number one free risk management book on the planet. So if you literally just Google free risk management book. It's gonna be it's gonna be number one, and that kind of a very concise summary of all the different ideas and thoughts that I have uh, on the topic. So it's like it's a it's a nice short introduction into the risk management to the world where risk is not a corporate risk register or a heat map, but something useful uh, for for the decision makers. Yeah, a lot of resources, a lot of ways to connect with you. So. Risk Awareness Week in October here coming up, and uh, you got your website, Risk Academy, and also the free book online for those who are interested, free risk management books. So really appreciate you being on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, John, and thank you for listening.